welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. Today is January 12th, and we're going to look at Genesis 12. The format of this show, just as a way by way of reminder, is every day I read one chapter of the Bible, and then I offer a brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and explain the theology very briefly. Uh, the, the goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes. Sometimes we go a little over that, uh, but I really try hard to keep it to about 5 to 20 minutes. Today we're going to look at Genesis 12. So here is Genesis 12 the re- and our reading of God's Word. Genesis 12 starts this way. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he had departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And, and when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with, the Be- with Bethel on the west, and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. And now there was a famine in the land. And so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abraham. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And so Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is it that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? And now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave the men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. 
Now, in verses 1 through 9 of Genesis 12, Abraham, we see Abram's migration to Canaan. After the essential background information in 11, 27 through 32, this section moves swiftly to highly uh, explain God's invitation to Abraham to become a source of blessing for the rest of humanity. In, in chapter 12, 1 through 3, the divine speech that suddenly and unexpectedly introduces this section is vitally important because it sets the agenda not only for Abraham's life, but also for his descendants. And by focusing on how divine blessing will be mediated through Abraham to all the families of the earth, it marks an important turning point within the book of Genesis. The repetition of the verb bless in verses 2 through 3, it underscores the, underscores the hope that through Abram, people everywhere may experience the favor of God, reversing the predominantly negative experience of chapters 3 through 11 of Genesis. God's plan for Abraham, both national and international dimensions, which are developed in the episodes that follow. Okay, verse 1. God's invitation to Abraham challenges him to abandon the normal sources of personal identity and security, his family and his country. To obey Abraham must trust the Lord implicitly. All human support is largely removed. The promises, outcomes are conditional on Abraham's obedience. Uh, in Acts 7, 2-3, uh, Stephan has, has God calling Abraham before he lived in Haran. The grammar here allows for this reading. Verse 2, God's purpose for Abraham that he become a great nation, it stands in obvious tension with Sarai's barrenness and the summons to leave his homeland. Here, Abraham is challenged by God to establish a new humanity. Make your name great. This was a failed aspiration of the tower builders that we saw in Genesis 11:4. In verse 3 of Genesis 12, although Abram is called to be a blessing to others, much now rests on how they treat him. Those who are positive towards Abraham will experience God's favor. The one who despises Abraham will know the displeasure of God. And what that means is a text is speaking of those who bless him, uh, but who dishonors, emphasizing that many more will be blessed than cursed. Indeed, such will be the influence of Abraham that all the families of the earth shall be blessed in him. This promise is later reaffirmed to Isaac and even to Jacob. In you, this simply may indicate by means of you, but is more likely that this expression is designating Abraham as the covenantal representative for a people. To be in some person is to be a member of that person for whom that person is the representative. This is the way that Paul takes it in Galatians 3, 8 through 9, where in you becomes along with Abraham. It would also appear to explain the origin of the New Testament phrase in Christ. Verse 4. The brief report of Abraham's response presents his obedience as immediate and unquestioning. Lot went with him. Abraham may have been responsible for Lot following the death of Haran. And since this stage, Lot was a wealthy adult with considerable possessions. As we're going to see tomorrow in uh, Genesis 13, 5 through 6, readers may assume that he desires to support Abraham's mission. Verse 5. The people that they had acquired in Haran. Now Abram had under his authority a great deal of men, many of whom may have been herdsmen. Genesis 4.4 mentions 318 trained men born in his household. And Genesis 17.12 refers to males whom Abraham has bought with money from a foreigner. The land of Canaan. Abram migrates with everything he has from northern Mesopotamia to Canaan. Verse 6, Shechem is the first of a number of locations in Canaan mentioned in association with Abram. 
Abram. The Oka Moriah was what has to do with a value of herdsmen with a large retinue. Abraham probably camped away from urban populations as these locations are identified by distinctive natural features like trees that we are going to see in Genesis 13 to 8. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. This brief observation reveals that the other people already occupied that land. And it may indicate that this notice was added after the expulsion of the Canaanites from this area. Verse 7. The Lord appeared. This is the first of a number of manifestations of God to the patriarchs. These are often associated with a divine promise. And on this occasion, what we see is the Lord promises the land to the descendants of Abram, although he's still childish. And in response, Abram builds an altar to the Lord. A number of altars are constructed by the patriarchs at different locations. And they are a common feature of the patriarchal period because no central sanctuary existed before the exodus from Egypt. And before the construction of the tabernacle, God was not perceived as ordinarily dwelling on the earth. These altars are places where God may be encountered in worship. Verse 8. Abram migrates southward to a location between Bethel and Ai before going much further in the direction of Egypt. The city contained four well-fortified gate complexes with a massive fortification wall about 11 and a half feet by three and a half feet thick. A large Canaanite sanctuary has been discovered immediately inside the city wall of this location. Verse 9, the Negev is a southern region of Canaan. In verses 10 through 20, we see Abram in Egypt. And that is to say a severe famine in Canaanite forces from Abraham to seek refuge in Egypt. Because of the Nile River, the land of Egypt was a better place to provide food for man and beast during a time of drought. And the events described in this section raise many questions that go unanswered, creating a sense of ambiguity as to how the behavior of everyone involved should be judged. As is common in biblical stories, the narrator gives no direct evaluation of the participants' actions, leaving the reader to figure out the ethical questions. But in the passage, the first readers, Israel following Moses, would have seen how God kept his promise to Abraham in spite of all the threats and in spite of all the morally dubious actions, even of Abraham himself. Verses 11 through 13. Fearful that his life will be in danger because of Sarai's beauty, Abram devises a a rule based on a half-truth. Abram's selfish actions imply that he thinks that God is unable to protect him. And yet when the plan backfires, the Lord rescues him in verse 17 of this chapter. In verse 15, Pharaoh is given the title uh, of the king of Egypt, not a personal name here. Verse 16, some biblical scholars have questioned that the mention of camels in Genesis is anachoristic on the assumption that they are not domesticated until, you know, until uh, much later. And yet archaeological evidence of camel bones, it suggests that some camels were in use by humans as early as the third millennium BC. While the evidence is limited, it is hardly surprising given the use of which camels were put. In Genesis, they usually appear in passages that involve long-distance journeys uh, through or close to deserts. Now, the scarcity of camels in the period of the patriarch made them a luxury of great worth, and thus their listing here and elsewhere may serve to emphasize Abram's wealth. Verse 17. Pharaoh's taking of Sarah brings divine punishment on him and his house. Well, this event prefigures the event from Egypt when God punishes another Pharaoh for his mistreatment of Abram's descendants. 
Now, roughly 4,000 years ago, God made a covenant with Abraham, that sheep herder from Mesopotamia. The question is, what does this have to you? We need to understand that a covenant is a promise, a pact, a vow. The covenant God made with Abraham, or Abram as he's originally known, is called the Abrahamic covenant. Now, you can read God's promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham has promised a great land, a great nation, a great uh, name, and a great blessing that will extend first to him and then to all the families of the earth. Well, there's only a small problem with this as far as Abram is concerned. Well, Abram is childless. His wife is barren. So where are Abram's descendants going to come from? He mentions this to God in Genesis chapter 15 when he says, God, uh, behold, you have given me no offspring. And the Lord responds, your very own son shall be your heir. And now, even though the fulfillment of this promise looks highly unlikely in human terms, nevertheless, Abraham believes God's promise that he would provide a son for him. And then we're told that through belief in the promises of God, Abraham was counted righteous. That's what Genesis 15, 6 means when it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. Well, this is a stunning moment. God's revelation that faith in him is the mechanism by which people were accepted by him and became heirs of his promises. This is what Paul says in Romans 4 and Galatians 3. Abraham was justified by faith alone, faith in the promise of God. Promises which find their fulfillment in Christ, as we see in 2 Corinthians 1.20. That God operates like this is overwhelmingly good news, not just for Abraham, but for all of us. And so let me say this again. Salvation is given to us not because of anything we have done or could do or ever will do, but purely on the basis of what God has done. And we receive the benefits of what God has done simply by trusting him as Abram did. And here in Genesis, in the very first book of the Bible, in this Abrahamic covenant, is a good news that was fully revealed some 2,000 years later in Christ. We do not, we cannot produce our own righteousness. We can't do it any more than Abraham could. But God did live a perfectly righteous life. And so when we believe in Christ, as Abraham believed God, we are declared righteous just as Abraham was. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteous of God. And there's something else about the Abrahamic covenant that is extremely significant. When covenants were made in the ancient Near East, the two parties would kill an animal. They would cut it in half. And then both of them would walk between the two halves. This was a solemn and a symbolic way for each person to say to the other person, if I break this covenant, may the same thing happen to me. May I be destroyed if I don't keep this covenant. But that is not what happens in the covenant between Abraham and God. In this covenant, only God passes between the two halves of the animal, not Abram. And so God is saying to Abraham, and by implication to all of God's people, this covenant does not depend on your obedience, but on mine. I swear by my own life that this promise will come to pass. And is to further confirm that our righteousness does not depend on our, our obedience to the law of God. God credits Abraham with righteousness well before he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And that's why, what the Abrahamic covenant has to do with us. 
Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. So if we have faith in Christ, our faith too will be counted to us as righteous. I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.